Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, uh huh.
you are with me, and we're having a cup of joe. A cup of joe is a strange and wonderful brew that uh, takes a lot of people. Well, it takes at least one person, but it takes a lot of people to make a really good one. This is a show that is dedicated to the truth. It's a show that's dedicated to liberty, and it's a show that's dedicated to bringing out the best in people, inspiring people to uh, reach outside their comfort zone sometimes, stay inside their comfort zone sometimes, make a difference all the time. We are an oppressed people. We don't even know it most of the time. We live in a world where people are told what to do and we do it. We're told what to do, sometimes the right thing, and we ignore it. We live in a world where law enforcement, our justice system, and a prison industry coexist peacefully. We live in a world where the medical uh, health care, whatever you want to call it, is influenced by insurance companies that don't want to pay out any more than they have to, specific um, needs to make their shareholders happy and thrive. And we have pharmaceutical companies that write medical books and tell our doctors what to do and how to do it. We have truths that are truths. We have opinions that are opinions, and there's places where the two come together, and there's places where the two have no business being in the same room. We're going to discuss some of those things. We have a lot, a very, very big show. Let me just kind of hit you with a brief outline of the show. Um, we've got Rebecca Forbes. She's going to be on first today. We're going to jump right into a guest. Um, we have Lisa Wooldridge. She's going to tell us a story about educating people. We got uh, Tom Corby, of course, with the NorCal Report at the end of the show. Pete Yaple is going to be joining us, um, talking about a big breakthrough in New York. Uh, Craig Cecil will be calling in from federal prison. George Martirano just got out of federal prison. He'll be checking in with his normal segment. Glenn Keeling is going to be calling in to hopefully give us some good news or at least tell us what's going on in Ohio. Uh, we got Albert Thomas. We got big things happening in Hawaii and soon to be New Mexico. I'm going to announce yet another contest, another contest that every member is actually enrolled in. Um, elections coming up for too long. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the bias of prohibition. We're going to talk about Michael Pelletier and his new uh, product he's got out there from behind the razor wire. We're going to talk about death, big truths about death that I don't know, don't hear anything about. So we're going to get into some, I drop some major heavy shit on you guys today, and you may not like it. Hell, I hope you don't like it. That means you're paying attention. We've got a lot of people with a lot of opinions about a lot of things, and um, some of them are based in facts, some of them are based in wishes, some of them are based in um, ignorance, some of them are based in bits and pieces of all of those things. Let's get down to it. If you want to call in and join this show today or any time, all you got to do is pick up your phone and dial 646-929-2495. Uh, you can also watch. We've got two live streams pumping on you right now. One is coming 
from my uh, public figure page. The other one, Lisa Woldridge, is broadcasting, and it will likely soon be uh, popping up all over the place. So please uh, share this thing around. Uh, the value of this show is its reach, and the more people we can reach, the better our message becomes. You are all part of the message. I try to do as little of the show as possible, giving you as much time and as much uh, space here um, to get into it. I will probe deep. If you're a guest on my show, it may be great. It may be uncomfortable, but we're going to talk about the truth, and we're going to talk about things that everybody needs to hear about. And it's not about sheer entertainment, although... Sometimes it's entertaining. All right. Hello, Stacy Swanson Crouch from Wichita, Kansas. Glad you could join us. We got Glenn Keeling on the phone or on the on the show, Francis Knotts, Justin Turley, Terry Miller, Albert Thomas, Becca Nichols, and Glenn Keeling, of course. Um, that's on my feed here right now, and I bet you Lisa's got a lot more folks on hers. Um want everybody to participate if you can or enjoy if you're unable to. All right, we're going to bring up Rebecca Forbes. Um, she was supposed to be a guest on last week's show. She's been uh, under the weather fighting uh, her voice, and it's awfully hard to do a call-in radio show if you don't have a voice. So today I think um, she's uh, up and ready to go, and let's, we've got a lot to talk about. Rebecca Forbes, welcome to the show. You are live on the air. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I will uh, ask you if you can keep the phone up close to your mouth, and I will turn the microphone up loud. How's that? That'll work. Um, All right. I've had yeah. laryngitis from the flu, so, yeah, it's been a little rough. <laughs> well, you're doing <laughs> fine. Uh, talk, talk softly and carry a big stick. Um, yeah, so, I'm on the mend. <laughs> that's good. Well, from what I know about you, uh, we need to keep you on the mend and healthy. Um, you've been out there oh, yeah. fighting this fight for a long time. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on uh, right at 30 years in the movement. Um, met a lot of wonderful people um, who have tried a bunch of wonderful things, and some have worked, some don't work. And, and once you get to be one of the OGs like me, you just get at a point where enough is enough. Um, you know, and I've well, had some know, things happen to me. One of the things that happens to a true activist, and there's there's all kinds of activists, and, and people come into this world for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. But I've noticed after being in it for a bunch of years myself, probably more than I would likely admit, um, the people that are the real deal, the people that are committed to just, it's part of your life, you you came aware at one time of, of, of an injustice that wasn't going to fix itself. And I'm just guessing because it's what's happened to everybody else that's, that's got the bug the way, you know, some of us do. It becomes part of the fabric of your being, and, and it's not okay to just keep going as it was and until it's changed, we got to change it. And am I even close in describing your scene? Well, my activism started out um, in my early 20s. I met Jean Marlowe, L.V. Musica, um, Kathy Jordan, um, Prez Bob, some of the older people. 
and and it was when the North Carolina movement really was cranking up, and we held a rally in 1996, and nearly everybody that attended that rally, um, after two or three years, got busted. So I ended up um, getting busted with some marijuana plants in 1998, and I served three years in North Carolina State Prison, and it scared me straight. So I, I literally didn't touch marijuana or smoke a joint for almost 10 years. And then after that 10 years, um, all this cancer flared up on me. And lo and behold, I learned um, the medical use of cannabis at that point. And that was when I was in my, my 40s. So I I knew that there was such a thing as medical cannabis, but I was not a medical cannabis user until I got sick with this cancer. And then I really understood what what cannabis was all about because I was just a rec user before then. And and I was um, selling marijuana when I was younger and went to prison for it and growing. So I've kind of seen both sides of the fence. I've seen the side where I was told I was doing something wrong, thrown in prison, had my home, my child, my money taken, the asset forfeiture stuff, went through all that. You know, and then and then went completely soccer mom for a while. And uh, let, let me ask you a question <laughs> about that whole experience. Um, you know, when you were incarcerated at the time, um, you know, this was right at the time in California where we had just passed our medical law and um, right. introduced maybe publicly the idea of uh, medical cannabis. Um, but while you were locked up, while you were incarcerated, did you feel like you had committed a crime? Like, did you feel like you had done wrong and you were just paying your time? Or did you feel like maybe there was something wrong with that whole thing? I mean, I know you said you were scared straight, but what was going on inside of you at the time? I mean, what was your real core saying to you? Well, the inner me was saying that I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't hurting anybody. And and even though I grew and sold cannabis, we only grew it and, and sold it to our friends. We we weren't like street dealers. We we provided it to very few people because um, we were gorilla growing and which is hard enough in itself in the North Carolina mountains. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know. I, in my inner being, no, I, I didn't feel like I belonged in prison. And and even officials in the prison, when I would tell them what I was there for, would say, you know, you don't belong in here. I I had never been anywhere like that. Um, had lived a pretty quiet life in the country. We grew a lot of pot. We didn't bother people. We didn't street sell. Um so I, I know I really didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong, but but through their their program in the prison, the the DART I think it's called, and uh, aftercare, they convinced me that I was just a horrible person, 
because I lost my child from all of it. Um, they made me feel just terrible for for putting my child in a position um, to be put in foster care. I think that bothered me worse than, than anything. Not so actually what I was forced, doing. They forced their <clears throat> opinion and the effects of what happened and they basically put it all on your shoulders rather than yeah. acknowledge that maybe they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, maybe they shouldn't have ripped my family apart and stolen my child from me right. over, over some cannabis, you know. Um, my daughter was well taken care of. She was not abused. She, she called it um, our flowers. She didn't know that it was cannabis or was bad. She had no clue. Um, you know, children only know what you tell them. Yeah, no, I, I, you know. I agree with you more. And and most but adults no, aren't going to say a, to a five-year-old or a six-year-old aren't going to say, you know, this is weed. You hide it from your kids. So, you know, if she had ever seen it or or asked, it was flowers. That's all she knew it was. Um, so it was very traumatic for my daughter, who um, who still today, um, at the age of 27, deals with a lot of PTSD from what they did to us back then. Because they, they not only drugged her father, they drugged her father out on a porch in front of her and beat him in front of her. So oh, wow. she was traumatized. Yeah, she was traumatized by what happened to us. And you know we're in a wow. movie over that, a documentary, um, the Exile know. Nation Project. Yeah, we're we're in the Exile Nation Project, a, a brief story about what happened to, to my family. It was bad. They they wiped us out. They took everything, our child, our home, our money, everything, and, and our family fell apart. So... But then, you know, after 10 years of abstinence, I got sick. And when I got sick, my friend Jean Marlowe came to me and told me that I needed to try cannabis oil because I had a tumor on my kidney in 2009. And I didn't um, get serious about it until 2010. And that's when I decided to start taking the cannabis oil. And you hear me still talking to you, so I did something right. <laughs> but, uh, well, I couldn't agree more. So, it, it, was, um, it was a little bit of a struggle to even choose to use cannabis again after what I had been through. So, so what, it, it was a major life choice for me. What got you to take that decision? I mean, when you found out you had cancer, um, what... You know, what what happened? I mean, I, here's the thing, and, I, and I'm going to get into this later in the show, but cancer is the second leading cause of death in the United States. And oh, yeah. Everybody's and I've got double-hit lymphoma, so I've got one okay. form of lymphoma that's incurable. I have two types of lymphoma that I've been fighting for going on a decade. And what happened so. when they told you they had that? What did they, what did they say? Well, in 2010, um, I was told I had 24 hours to live in a wow. text emergency room. 
and I hadn't tried the oil yet. I had some in the cabinet that someone had given me that had been sitting up there for like three months, and it was just infused in some canola oil or something. It it was back when we didn't know a whole lot, and so someone had given it to me, and when they told me I was going to be dead by morning, I went home and started drinking that stuff like it was water. And the next day, I was still alive. So, yeah, the next day, I'm still alive. My kidneys didn't fail. I was in full-blown organ failure and walked out of that hospital and lived. And that was in 2010. So, pretty pretty amazing what happened. And and then I, I didn't even know how serious of a cancer I was dealing with until 2014. So for four years, I walked around with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and survived it on my own. Wow. Just on cannabis oil. Yeah. So that's what made me a believer. Because once they told me what I had when I was biopsied in 2014, at UNC, and they told me that I had two types of large B-cell lymphoma, which is now connected to Roundup, of all things. Um, I was pretty, even the doctors were shocked that I was still alive because diffuse large B-cell normally kills within three to six months to a year. You're a goner. And I survived it over four years on my own with just vitamins and cannabis oil and a few diet changes. Now, what did the, oh. what did the, uh, the hospital tell you? I mean, obviously they, they told you you're going to die. Um, well, Duke Cancer Center documented on my medical records um, cannabis oil that is homemade, amazingly enough, um, okay. because she asked me, what have you been doing? And I said, I've been taking this cannabis oil stuff. And she's like, well, where do you get it? And I said, I've been making it on my kitchen stove. And she was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I just take some some cannabis and throw it in a pot on the stove and I cook it and take it by the spoonful. And And she asked me to bring some so she could see it. So I did. And And she documented it. It says on my medical records, three times daily, one tablespoon, cannabis oil that is homemade on my Duke cancer records. So, I mean, they acknowledged it. They haven't done anything about it. I I wish somebody would study my case, but I've been pushing for it. I've got a couple of doctors in Ohio that are blood cancer doctors that are starting to perk up a little bit, but... I really think they're afraid of this. Did they, uh, what kind of money? They can't make no money China. off of me if I can make it on my stove, you know? Sure. Did they recommend so any if kind I can of make it on my stove? Like yeah, if I can make it on my stove at home, I don't need a pharmaceutical company. I didn't need my doctor because I was already alive without a doctor. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty useless to the, the money machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it, it sounds like you yeah. understand the money machine a little bit. Oh, I do. Well, all too well. I can say this: I'm I'm glad you're still here, and I'm glad you well, yeah. uh, have the the secret of staying alive with this stuff, and hopefully um, it continues to help for many, many, many years to come. Um, oh, I, so, I I hope so too. I mean, so far so good. My um my accounts and everything are still good, and you know I've got an incurable form, but the oil manages to. Keep me going. I'm, I won't stop till I drop. I promise you that. Well, we so, all suffer an incurable been... disease called life, so we're all we're all incurably yeah. alive. And we're gonna die one day. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you have a regimen that allows uh, your health and and your ability to function, so many people walk around with things that will one day kill them. But that doesn't mean it's going to kill them today, tomorrow, next week, or the next 10 or 20, 30 years, you know. One well, I day think a lot of it is, is a positive oh. attitude, you know. Even through all this cancer, I've kept a positive attitude. I, I became real conscientious about what I was eating, and, and I make sure I always take my cannabis oil because I had an experience in 2012 where I kind of slowed up on taking my oil and had a couple of tumors pop up in my neck. Um, wow. So I, I learned my lesson the hard way. I can't stop taking it um, or even slow down. So, you know, I'm on 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams a day. Of hey, whatever it takes. It, which, it seems ungodly to some people, but because I've been taking that amount for so long, it's like taking a vitamin to me. It's no big deal. Exactly. Because my, my well, body is used to that. That is fantastic. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that this plant is so worth fighting for. You know, we this, this show's is about freedom and liberty, but this plant is uh, uh, the attack on this plant is an attack on us. Hey, listen, Rebecca, this is Craig Cecil calling in from federal prison. So he gets his slot. I'm going to go ahead and um, put you on hold just for a little while while Craig is... Um, on the line, and then we'll bring you right back up. Yeah, because I do want to talk about the no men's ray thing. Absolutely. We'll give you plenty of time, but I got I got Craig up here right now. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Hello, Jerry. Uh, well, life is about the way it normally is, I guess, here in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> well, how is your tooth? Remember we talked about how the dentist here was kind of a kind of an odd dude. <laughs> right. I ended up I did get my tooth fixed yesterday. Oh so good. My tooth is finally fixed, but I had an adventure on the way. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> how you get any kind of medical care uh in the prison is you go in the morning to what they call sick calls or dental sick calls. So at 7 o'clock in the morning or 6.30 in the morning, you stand in line, you wait for them to call on you, you tell them, you know, what your problem is, and they'll tell you, you know, wait to be on the list for an appointment. What? <laughs> That's what I did last week for my tooth. <laughs> but so, uh, I couldn't eat very much in light of my tooth, 
So I went back in and uh, to ask the nurses, you know, to, to cut back on my insulin, you know, some, so I would still be okay. Unfortunately, the dentist saw me, knew I was, you know, had put in for an appointment, and figured I was there to complain about him. Oh, no. He's a very, <laughs> he's a very violent man and ended up screaming and hollering and all that, getting all kinds of people out of their offices, and he threw me into a wall. What? And all the other officers just said, hell. I mean, the guy's a really violent, just kind of a deranged kind of guy. A violent dentist, that's like a scary monster. Oh, yeah, all the officers came running they, when they all kind of surrounded around us. They were worried about him. Oh. him off of me. <laughs> Once they got him off of me, they just told me to go somewhere, you know. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. But this is what your federal tax dollars are paying for, a guy that apparently has... I mean, they all knew how he acts, and uh, apparently he beats up people a lot. It's called from a federal prison. So, I mean, what did, what did, did he end up removing the tooth or capping it, or what did he end up doing? Um, actually, because of that violent outburst and all that, we arranged for an appointment yesterday, and I had two guards sit in on the appointment. He did fix it, so my tooth is fixed properly. I still have my tooth. So... <laughs> So were the guards guarding you or him? When the guards what? Were the guards guarding you or guarding him? Uh, I'm guarding me from him. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy that really makes the better part of two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, jeez. You know, I I wish I wish there was some way I could, um, you know, complain about how my tax dollars are being spent. In a meaningful way, um, we got all kinds of issues with, uh, you know, so many things. We got we got real problems in the world, and yet this kind of crap is happening. And I I don't even uh, you know I don't even know what to say. I I think that um, it, it's 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 unsettling at very least. Um, and it, it's 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 maddening. I I have a guest on today um, named Rebecca from North Carolina, and she did a a few years in in state prison uh, a few years ago over over pot, and they had convinced her that she was such a bad person because she allowed her family to be torn apart by growing and selling pot to her friends. And they literally brainwashed her into buying this. And after, you know, she got out, she finds out she's got cancer and ends up getting back. And she's alive today because of the very same plant that they convinced her that she was a bad person because she got her kid taken away because of this plant. And at the same time, we got this going on, you know, you in there and so many other people in there, and we still have yet to have a single victim. And I'm going to talk later on the show about why we die and how we die. But you know what? Pot has nothing to do with it. There's not any connection to pot and death, whereas our diet, our, our, um, our, our life choice habits, um, uh, there's so many reasons why we die, and pot has nothing to do with any of them. And to think that we prioritize things so much so that we 
got all this free money and time and energy to go locking people up and keeping them that way and torturing them once they're locked up over this plan. It's just completely maddening. So, um, you know, I'm, part of me is just trying to figure out what more we can do and how we can do it. And, you know, I, I, I think that uh, we got to figure out how to speak with one voice better. I think we just need to uh, figure out how to unify our message a little bit better because the fact that this is still going on is just evidence that we haven't done enough. I mean, and people can cope with it, but 
is you're never the same. And I'm just curious, you know, when are we going to figure that out, that, that incarcerating people that were not violent to begin with um, doesn't necessarily have them come out the same way. And hopefully, you know, enough people will, will remain nonviolent, but it doesn't necessarily end up that way, that's for sure. And, I mean, I've seen a number of cases that guys have left, and, you know, and uh, within days or weeks of leaving, they're, they're involved in some sort of violent altercation on the street, you know. And, and that's sad, but that's like what I learned on Friday when that, when that dentist attacked me. There wasn't any ability for me to run away or, you know what I mean, or other people jump in and help or anything like that. You just got to stand your ground there. And, you know, and that's really not the lesson you don't want people to take to the street. You no. Know, you, don't want them, you don't want their their first solution in their head to be violent. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's so true. And I, I we watch a, a, an increasingly violent society um, not only become increasingly violent, but increasingly numb to violence. And, you know, we have to think about the bigger picture. What, what are all these factors that are, that are contributing to this? And, you know, you think about personal responsibility, in my opinion, is a big factor. There's very little of that anymore. And you think about this prison system that's turned into, I don't know what the number is, it's like one in 12 Americans have seen the inside of a jail or a prison. It's a, it's a, it's a staggering number these days. And you, you look at that, and then you look at, at you know, a, a lot of other factors, the chemicals that, that people are being mass-given and, and in, in the hopes of calming them down or, or you know, fixing their, their mental ailments. And there isn't any solution to that that, that I see in front of us right now. I mean, these are big systemic problems that we've let get out of hand. And, you know, it's going to continue generation after generation. I have to think it's going to get worse before it gets better. It starts manifesting. You see these, you know, these school shootings. What the hell is that? You know, if you look and you start digging deep into it, there's almost always mental illness involved. And yet, what's our policy on mental illness in the, in the, in the country? Uh, we have very little. We, we have... You know, we have a lot of mental illness. We have very little solution for it. And how many people in prison, federal, state, and otherwise, have mental illness? Probably a pretty... Probably about a third of them, just, in, you know, in my experience. And I've seen statistics that show it to be even higher. And, you know, amongst the people in prison, less than half of them have a high school diploma. You know, probably only, you know, maybe 20% of them can really even sit and write a letter. I mean, I write letters and things for people all the time, and why are they throwing these people back out on the street expecting to get a different result? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a punishment for poverty a lot of times. You know, if you think about the, the reason why people aren't educated, it, it, it typically is a class issue. Um, you know, pr priorities and finances and, and you know, the ability to get an education in a place where not much of one is available, you end up you end up in a place like that more easily than somebody who has a lot of other choices. And you know, we got like I said, it's a it's a complicated problem, but I don't see any effort to really fix it from a systemic point of view. I mean, even even some 
prison reform that we see, obviously ending prohibition is, is a giant step, but, I mean, there's, it, there's so many more cultural problems that are related to mental illness, incarceration, um, class disparity, and all of these things that we're talking about. Um, prohibition is just a, a it, it's a huge bias. I mean, it's, it, you think about racism um, and, and take it to its purest form of bias rather than about a particular issue, and our, our incarceration policies are exactly that. I mean, it's, it's entirely a biased um, uh, institution with very little exception. I think if you look at the amount of people that are in the top 10% of the economic class, it's probably less than 1% of the prison population. Hey, Craig, I'm sorry to have taken over some of the conversation you got. There's your first beat. I'm going to let, let you have the rest of it. Okay, well, thanks a lot, but I think you've hit the nail on the head is that um, the taxpayer, you and all your listeners, I mean, they pay a fortune in federal taxes to, to pay for what I see around. I cost the federal government about $60,000 a year, and what do they get for their dollars? I mean, the people you're helping uh, and everybody that's listening is helping by becoming more aware of what's actually happening in here with all their tax dollars. and. That's our first step, that people know that there's a problem that needs to be fixed. Maybe we can all come together with something that will help the, the 183,000 federal prisoners and, you know, maybe some of the other prisoners as well. Well, and there it goes. Craig Cecil gets cut off again. I, I feel bad sometimes um, when I even talk, but I think part of what the value of this show is to him is having a conversation with some, I don't know, non-prisoner people. Um, we have to get it through our heads that locking up a guy like Craig Cecil or Michael Pelletier or some of these other people, Aaron Sandusky, um, Jimmy Romans, I mean, there's, there's people that I know personally that are locked up. George Martorano, for God's sake, how the hell did he end up in federal prison for 32 years? The fact that we have allowed this to happen is such a fundamental problem. When we see symptoms of things like violence from children, we have to really, at one point, look at the bigger picture. What the hell is causing all this? Why is it, how is it that we've let this get out of control to a point where it's, it's almost commonplace now. And if we think that controlling one element of this is an answer, I think we need to have a dark, serious look at some facts. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. First, we're going to go back to Rebecca. And I'm very much enjoying our conversation, Rebecca. Let me get you back on yeah, live. Yeah, I'm still here. There you are, Rebecca. You're live again. I apologize. Yeah. Well, I don't apologize. I know all about prison phone calls. They don't last long. Now you get 15 minutes of pop, and then and then that's it. And, yep. you know, I, I feel very good about being able to give him his 15 minutes a week, and I'd give him more if I yep. could. I just it my heart every time uh, we get cut off, and, and, I, and I think we haven't fixed this problem yet because he's still locked up. Well, let's jump into your, your court case and um, the whole no man's ray thing. I keep hearing about it, and 
Um, I've always asked. I'd love to hear an example of it working because I've spent a lot of time in courtrooms, including my own trial, and there's a lot of things that work in theory but not necessarily in practice, but from courtroom to courtroom, everything's different, and every judge is different, and every set of rules is different, so why don't you tell us about your experience? Well, my experience, you know, the first incarceration was 20 years ago. And and I was growing and selling and, and went to prison. Well, two years ago, I ran for North Carolina State Senate. And during my run for Senate, I got raided after 20 years. So um, they came to my porch and they asked if I was Rebecca Forbes. And I said, yes. And they said, we're here for your marijuana plants. And I kind of started laughing at him and said, well, I don't have any marijuana plants. And he said, well, we have a warrant to search your property. And they had, they had literally patterned this warrant after the charges 20 years prior. So they, they searched my property. They didn't find anything. Um, I gave them a jar of oil that I had in some luggage because I had been out of town that weekend. And then they tried to accuse me of selling marijuana. And I said, well, when did I supposedly do that? And they said, over the weekend. And I said, well, I was in Maggie Valley all weekend, so I'd kind of like to know how I teleported myself back here to sell marijuana in front of an informant is what they were trying to say. So they ended up packing up all their stuff after searching my house, charging me with um, simple possession and paraphernalia because all I had was my personal medicine on me and um, ended up in court. So I went into court, and I ended up sitting in court with friends of mine come in to support me, I would end up sitting there all day long until nobody was left in the courtroom. And the reason was because I let them all know that I have done nothing criminal. You came to my house and accused me of a bunch of bull crap. And, and I laid it out to them that I'm a medical patient. I use cannabis for cancer. And I don't give a damn what any of you think. And I'm not guilty of anything. And I'm not taking a plea. I'm not pleading guilty. And and I, I stood my ground. And that's when um, Peters reached out to me about the no mens rea principle. And so that's when I learned about it was after the raid. And so I went into court the next time after I learned about that, and I said to my lawyer, I said, what about no men's ray? And the look on his face when I said that, his whole face like contorted. And he said, <laughs> do not let the prosecutor hear you say that. And I said, why not? Because I'm not guilty of a damn thing. I've done nothing wrong. I've hurt no one. And so it ended up I had to come back to court again 
And by that time, I guess my lawyer and the prosecutor had discussed things. So they just threw my stuff out. The next court date, I went in and they, they threw the case out. And they they were scared to death of me because I told them I'll be the first woman in Harnett County to take a charge of simple possession to a jury trial. Because I'm not pleading guilty. I have not committed a crime. I've done nothing wrong. And and that's the basic principle of no men's ray. But where people get snagged up trying to use that defense is by admitting that cannabis is a crime. So if, you, if you're trying to use the no men's ray principle, which means you're, you don't have a guilty conscience, you cannot admit that you believe cannabis is a crime. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? They, get, they can catch 22 you on that. They'll say, well, you know what you were doing was against the law. And if you say, yes, I know it's against the law, you just threw no men's ray right out the window. Because in my opinion, cannabis is not against the law. It's a plant that was given to me by God, and I use it for my cancer. And no man has a right to tell me that I can't do that. I don't give a damn what law they got on the books. I don't believe in their law. Well, I, I operate think that under God's law. Important lesson that to to be learned here is that it worked. And there's a lot of things that as long as you do not admit to cannabis being criminal. You cannot well, say that. We we all have to learn and, and it's it's a rough lesson because I like I said, I've I've been in courtrooms all over the country, and I've seen a lot of people try a lot of things. And and we have to be very careful to to know that not all courtrooms are going to follow a set of rules. They're not all going to listen to one thing or another. In my case, I never admitted I did anything wrong either, and I was found guilty of 12 counts of selling pot. But the bottom line is is we, we got it overturned. But the point is, is this: if you don't fight, you don't have a chance to win. And I think exactly. that maybe as much as the lesson of how you won is that you would have never won if you didn't stand your ground. And I think that that's yeah. the thing: you can get more people to rise up and say, "Wait a minute, you're charging me with the I've crime." I've done nothing yeah, wrong. I've done nothing criminal. Exactly. Yeah, and, and stand your ground. Don't back down. Do not take a plea. That's what they want. They want to scare you bad enough and threaten you with with time or or it's going to be much worse on you if you take this to trial. I, I didn't care. Let's go. Let's go to trial because I'm well, not guilty of anything. One of the things that's happening in courtrooms all across America – is that as laws are changing, and I don't give a damn about the laws either. They're all bad laws. Even the, the best laws we have, they're all a bunch of crap because they all have limits. But the bottom line is most people, and I mean most people, 97 or higher percent of all cases where there's a felony charge or even a misdemeanor charge, the people will just settle the deal because, They'll get told by their lawyer or their public defender 
that if you fight it, it's going to be that much worse if you lose. And everybody yeah. is afraid, everybody is ignorant, everybody's, not everybody, but so many people are afraid, ignorant, and lazy. And I, when I say lazy, I don't mean, you know, you just lay on the couch all day and eat bonbons. I mean, it's a lot of work to fight a case. If you get down and really want to fight, you got to learn this shit. You got to get down and you got to you got to interact with your lawyer, you got to interact with witnesses, you got to dig in and fight. It's a lot of work and most people you don't gotta have it. You got to learn what to say. You've got to learn what to say and what not to say. Mostly what that's, not to that's say. So critical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we say too much Never to the wrong people to a crime. Never yeah. admit that you believe that cannabis is criminal. Never admit that. Because well, then, then the no mens rea defense is useless. Exactly. Well let's 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 keep moving forward because you've you've taken that experience now two years ago and I I'm assuming that um because you don't call yourself a state senator that that, that run for office didn't go as hoped. But you've well, been I was very running as an independent. I was running as an independent and and I'm I'm well known in North Carolina and I was quite a threat to the, the man that I was running against who was like eighty something years old and needs to go play golf. So you know and, 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 and golf time now, do we? <laughs> no. But but they knew that, that if I if I ended up on that ballot that I had half a chance. And and, and I think that's why um, they raided me. I've had a couple of people tell me that they feel it was politically motivated, but um, it did cause me to, to drop out of the Senate race because my children were traumatized um, from all of it, and, and it just wasn't worth it to me. And um, I, I get more enjoyment out of educating and empowering other people to stand up for themselves than then I think I would um, spending all day in a room with a bunch of politicians. <laughs> I just well, let's make, make you know for a minute. Um, you know, educating I, and I inspiring. Still lobby. You know, we've got Go the ahead. huge women's group, and we lobby. So I'm happy doing that um, because honestly, if I became a politician. Um, they probably would not like to hear what I'd have to say about a bunch of them. So I don't know how long I'd last. <laughs> but because uh, yeah. I'm just one of those people that's pretty raw when it comes to truth. And, I mean, I'm not happy with, with a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle at this point. You know, where did common sense go out the window is my question. It, 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 it went just, out the window. Back, I think, in the... It's been a long time. Well, let's let's uh, talk about legalization and repeal and ending prohibition. Well, I I spent two months in in California. So I, I was in California before the law changed, and I was there when the law changed. And I've taken a position with a um a grower in California um that is licensed under the new law. 
and had to jump through all kind of hoops to get all the licensing. It's ridiculous what they're putting these people through. And if you don't have the money to play, you're not going to get one of those licenses. So what I saw happen in California with legalization um, totally through your smaller craft growers um, back into being outlaws. Um, this new legalization law is calling for these huge land limits. Um, the, the, the fees are astronomical to get manufacturing licensing and dispensary licensing. Um, it's a mess. California is in a mess. And, and you know, there's, there's some good things about the legalization law that I see, like the release of some of our lower-level offenders is a good thing. Um, the fact that if you're 21, you can now walk into a, a licensed store and, and purchase cannabis without a medical card. But what what happened to the patients and all that? Yeah, but well, what that, happened that, to the patients? Yeah, and I live in California, and yeah. I, I, I'm that, very aware of both sides of the market. And um, I'm really it, shocked at, at the disregard for the medical patients and the smaller co-ops and collectives. That really bothers yeah. me because those are the people out there um, that are able to help a lot of our sick people, and they're they're being put out of business. And well, it's, it really it's really sad. Which is what you know is is happened everywhere. It's happened in Colorado. It's happened in Washington. It's happened in Oregon, and it's happening in California and everywhere else. And I think that that's, you know, a, a recurring theme that we have out here. There isn't a single one of these laws that work. And the um, the reality of this is every single one of these laws, uh, it, it does the opposite of what a lot of people think it's going to. We get tricked into um, voting for something that's better than nothing, in our opinion. And then what happens is the most of the, well, I don't know, if I could cross that many lines, but very many of the of the cannabis folk, um, small business minded folk, are hardworking small business entrepreneurs of some sort or another, yep. and they're very different from the big giant capitalist money that is funding pharmaceutical companies, prison guards union, the alcohol, tobacco, all the big beasts that that we kind of you know stand our ground against. And then what happens when these laws come in is the very same people and entities and organizations and, and companies that we oppose in principle and, and in, in, in practice, they're the ones that end up owning the market. And everybody else either yep. gets put into the category of a criminal or they just go away. And that's what we're well, letting happen. You know, I met with a patient in, in Humboldt that, before this new law, was able to, like, make some oil and go give it to his aunt or, you know, make some oil and go give it to his grandma. But this new law, they're not, we're, they're not allowed to do that anymore. The only thing that does stand as far as medical rights is the individual rights. But that means you're only growing for yourself. 
You know, they, they yeah, can't touch the... people that are sick, afflicted with life-threatening disease, are able to grow, grow a single plant, much less the amount of plants, the type of plants, grow well enough to grow quality medicine, and then to make the products needed to treat yourself. How many really sick exactly. people can do that? It's a very small not number. Many. Exactly. Yeah, not many. And they depend on these co-ops and collectives for their 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 livelihood. And and you know, for instance, um, River City Phoenix, the collective in in Sacramento, um, giving free oil to cancer patients. Under this new law, they're no longer allowed to do that. I know. I know. And that's really sad. That's really sad. Well, the thing how, is, how is, do it, they? Let that happen. I don't understand how how they let that happen. We were duped into voting for a poor law, and and there were a few of us that were fighting against it. Um, But, you know, the big money wins, and that's what happened. Well, listen, Rebecca, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I do want to – I want to do this. One of the things that I think is a problem – I think it's a problem. That's a really understatement. One of the biggest problems that we face as a movement, and I'll put gigantic air quotes on the word movement because we're not much of a movement. We're a whole bunch of little groups that stand up and do their own thing, and sometimes we gather together in in brief fits and starts. But one of the things that this show is about and that I'm about and the human solution is about is locking arms, linking up, and deciding that, it's important to work together. It's important uh-huh. that we stand together in a in a in a declarative way that, that you know, I'm committed to um offering my organization to standing with you and, and all the people that you're working with and, and let's agree to work together. Let's agree to um continue this conversation. I'd love to have you on in you know, in the near future as your voice gets better and, and we can go deep oh, yeah. into some other topics and you know, I really would like to, to you know, get your endorsement for us working together as an organ, as organization to organization. What well, do you say? You, you know that I that I've worn your Human Solution pins since about 2011, um, when I was doing the events in oh, D.C. Right. for overthrow the government. I love it. Yeah, I love it. So well, I, I've had your little Human Solution pins for years. And I, I wear them it. when I go out to events and stuff like that. So I've been a big supporter of your work for a very long time. And being a former incarcerated um, individual, I, I just really like to thank you for, for what you do for our incarcerated people that are are prisoners of this horrible drug war. Well, I say let's, let's continue working together and let's continue this conversation as time goes by and I just consider me an ally. I'm here to help and if there's anything that comes up in North Carolina that you need to get more people engaged with or you know as we're we're building our teams I would love to include you in the process. Awesome. Well I'll be back in San Diego probably late April. Well let me know when you're in town. I'm about an hour away from San Diego. Maybe we could get, get together. 
Yeah, because I'll, I'll be I'll be flying into San Diego and then headed back up towards SAC. But yeah, we should get together when I get back. Well, let me know because, like I said, I live about an hour from San Diego. We could get together. Awesome. I, I was just there like three weeks ago in San Diego. <laughs> well, yeah. Before you go, I want to I want you to give a shout out. How does somebody get in touch with you if they want to help you with your work in North Carolina and all the stuff you're doing? How does somebody get a hold of you? Well, we have a um, Facebook page for NC Women for Cannabis. Um, it's co-founded by myself and two other women in North Carolina, um, and we are a um, lobbying organization that works on any legislation that we have. So if you want to get in touch with us, find us on Facebook. You can find me under my personal name, Rebecca Forbes. The easiest way to find me is just Google me. Put Rebecca Forbes in Google, and you'll find me. Um but I've done so much that it just like explodes when you go in there. So, but, um, well, that's what I'm here. I, I guess that's one yeah. of the reasons we get along well together is uh, we're busy doing rather than bitching about what we're not doing. Exactly. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm busy doing all the time. You know, and, well, and, I, and, I, and I want to help in California too because it just it just breaks my heart to see the patient suffering like that after so many years of, of quasi-freedom to just be told, you know, you're going to accept this new legalization thing and this is the way it is. But we, we can't well, let that happen. Good news, is, good news is, is we don't listen very well. So my guess is no. there's going to still be a lot No, we, we need to fight that. for a full repeal. It's time and to repeal I, these laws. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, we're going to continue yep. the discussion. I welcome you to come back anytime. Let me know when you want to come awesome. back as a guest. We'll continue the conversation. Beautiful. All we right, will. Folks, you... was... Go ahead. It was great to be on the show, and I, and I sure appreciate your work. Keep it up. Oh, you betcha. Thank you very much, Rebecca Forbes from North Carolina. All right, folks, we've cut up the first hour and uh, ten minutes, and we got a whole bunch of people on the line. we got Bet from California. Um, she's going to be talking. We got Galen and Lori from Las Vegas. Tom Corby, of course, with the NorCal Report. He'll be wrapping everything up. We got Albert Thomas from Hawaii, um, soon to be New Mexico. We got Glenn Keeling from Ohio, all on the line right now. Um, so I'm going to, and we have Lisa Wooldridge. She's going to come up next and tell us a little story. Um, We've got a couple of things I want to get to because otherwise I may not get to them. In September, um, we're having our elections, and I'm going to talk about it every week because I, my hope is that more and more people will get involved. The Human Solution International is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, uh, federally recognized as a charitable organization, so... Um, we can raise money and give a tax write-off. We can do a lot of things under the auspices of our organization, and we do. Uh, we currently have a few little fundraisers going on for our How Come um, campaign, and that's going to be developing more and more as, as we go. But one of the things that we agreed when we organized originally back almost 10 years ago now is that uh, this should be an organic 
organization. We should be what we should be. And that means the people that are willing to step up and raise their hands and help out should have access to those tools. Um, people willing to lead should be able to lead. People willing to help should be able to help. And, um, you know, our board positions and our leadership positions are not honorary. <laughs> They're actually jobs that you actually have to work. And we're all volunteers, so you don't get paid for it. Um, as a result, not a lot of people raise their hands, but those that have, have taken their job seriously, and we're grateful for it because that's how we operate. Um, but every single position every two years becomes available, from CEO to board member to uh, vice president, secretary, treasurer, all of it. Um, so just be aware that every single active member has the ability not only to vote, but to run. If you're a member in good standing currently, meaning you've paid your membership dues, or you're a Hardway member recognized by the organization, you got a little membership card that says, I'm actually a member, you can not only vote for any and all of these positions, but you can run and hold office. So that's how we've been able to maintain. Um, nobody gets to have any undue personal influence unless they're willing to work for it, and if so, it better match the mission or you won't last long. That's just the way it seems to work. So that's important. The next thing is is our membership. Our membership is really the, the thing that allows us to operate. Uh, we're trying to increase the value of our membership, you know, not just little doodads and a card and a T-shirt or whatever the little prizes are, but um, there's a value to being a member of this kind of organization. One of the values is if anything happens to you and you are a member and you call out for help, we treat you like family. We will always help anybody that comes to us and says, hey, I need help. It's what we do. It's the nature of our organization to educate and support. But if you're walking down the road and you hear somebody call out a car window, help me, you're likely to go and help them. If you hear your little sister or your, your, your niece or somebody saying, help me, it's just a human nature thing. So, you know, as a, as a, as a proactive way to protect yourself, if nothing else, is certainly a good reason to be a member. What I've decided to do unilaterally, because I am CEO of the organization and I'm going to give away a personal gift, um, I can do that. I've decided to randomly select a member from our membership roster uh, this coming week for a prize. And I haven't picked out the prize yet, but it will be cool. And then I'm going to... Um, we're going to do that once because that's for any member. And then after that, every week I'm going to pick a prize for a 420 member. And the reason that I'm going to pick one every week is because the 420 members are recurring members. And every single month they donate $4.20, a cup of coffee, literally, um, to the organization. And that's actually a big part of what holds us up and allows us to operate and uh, print materials so that people can have them, make our ribbons, and do all the little things that we're able to do to function. Never underestimate the value of support, folks. Support is the thing that makes all of this work. If you're a defendant or if you're charged with a crime, and you know that if I if I'm charged with a crime and I have to go and answer and I have to go to court and fight a case and I'm going to be there by myself or 
I know that if I go to fight a case, there's going to be people from all over the country standing by me, holding me up, people physically showing up in that courtroom, people writing letters on my behalf if need be, people that talk to, pick up the phone and talk to and just share my, my experience with. That's the support that we offer. That's the real stuff, folks. That's the thing that makes it possible for most people to stand their ground and fight. There's a handful of people out there willing to do it on their own no matter what, come hell or high water, I salute you. But for the rest of us that need a helping hand, that need a, a you know a support team um, to make it possible to fight that good fight, that's what this is about. So um, my hat's off to all the members. I welcome more people to be a member, and we're here to make that membership even more valuable. Uh, annual membership is $15.00. 420 membership is a monthly fee of $4.20, and, of course, there's sponsor levels as well. So thank you all for that. <coughs> finally, well, not finally, but next, uh, Michael Pelletier. Um, we talked about him. Dee Dee Kirkwood came on the show a couple of weeks back and talked about Michael Pelletier and his art. And um, he's got a website that is michaelpelletierart.com and he has a whole bunch of um, paintings, hand paintings that he's done that are available for sale and they're a couple hundred bucks, 250 bucks I believe they are. It's such a worthy cause if you're able to um, you know, consider it a donation, you get an amazing original piece of art by a guy not only serving life in prison for pot, but he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> Farming accident back a long time ago, and he sits in prison for the rest of his life unless we do something about it for pot. So if you can help the guy out, purchase one of his paintings. But he just offered a smaller, um, they're like uh, cards, greeting cards, and they're prints of his artwork and um, it's a whole lot cheaper, and they're available on that site, too. So I welcome everybody to participate, help the guy out. You don't have to just donate for nothing. Get a piece of art that's an original um, artwork from a guy serving life in prison. All right. Let's go ahead. I think I'm going to bring up Lisa because we didn't get to her last week, and then we're going to get into a lightning round with callers. We'll go um, in order of people that got up here, and we've got, um, oh, looks like we lost Galen and Lori, so um, we got Bet, and we got Glenn, and we've got Tom Corby, and uh, Albert Thomas, I think, has a little announcement as well, even though he didn't say he's got something to say. Uh, so, without further ado, Lisa Wildridge, the Vice President of the Human Solution International, she's got a little story to share. Hi, guys. Okay, so here's my story. I went to church, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before that, and I like to go to um, an evening church service because it deals with a lot of young people. And one of the things that was going on with that was they said, we're going to talk about marijuana. So I heard that. I was instantly fascinated, so I stuck around. And... Uh, we waited and waited, and then a gentleman came in, um, and he proceeded to have a good time. 
he was telling all of the young people, and the place was packed, by the way. There was a lot of young people there. There was um, some adults there as well. And he made a big deal about uh, that he uh, was a cool guy, and he talked about rolling fatties, and um, he tried to be real cool with what he was doing. But the bottom line is, as he started to explain to these young people and their parents, he told them that, it, that the marijuana was bad for their brains, bad for their hearts, bad for their lungs, and um, that it would make them lazy and shiftless. Uh, he didn't mention anything about it healing anybody's endocannabinoid system. He didn't mention anything positive about it at all. In fact, he at one time said that any of the people in his class, and apparently he was a uh, gentleman who worked with young people and also worked with people who went to continuation schools, and he looked over at one of the other gentlemen sitting in the audience, and he looked at him and he said, if I wanted to take your phone from you, if I told you put your phone away, stop playing with it in school here, what would you do? And the young man said, well, I'd put it away. And he said, well, the young people in my class that use pot marijuana, they will argue with you. They do not want to put their phone away. They do not want to listen to you, and they are all full of drama. So when he was through speaking, I looked up at everybody, and I looked at him, and uh, I said, why do we all have an endocannabinoid system? And he said, oh, you'll have to talk to me about that later. And then I said, why is there cannabinoids in human breast milk? And he says, well, we'll have to talk about that later. Uh, but when you do that, that floods the system. Okay. And then I looked at him and I said, and why did the United States government give a patent to GW Pharmaceuticals on the neuroprotective abilities? And he said, nothing. He just, he, he was out of words. So I had two adults come up to me. One father with his students came over. They were asking me questions. I then found the young woman that had invited this gentleman, and I said, if you tell them a lie, I will be there to tell them the truth. It was not an easy thing for me to do, but I did it anyway because that's what we have to do. We have to share. We have to educate, and that's my thing. That's what I do. I like to help. I like to share, and I'm just really being selfish because I'm a cancer survivor, and that's why I like cannabis. That's my story, and Joe's back. Thanks, guys. Bye. You're just trying to reconnect. Oh, again. Yeah. All right. Well, looks like my broadcast got choked out again. Luckily, Lisa seems to be going through. I don't know what's going on. But we'll try it again. This is take three on my uh, on my page. All right. I have no idea what's going on with that, but there it is. Third, third time's the charm. We're back. Okay. George Martorano comes on the show every week. Hopefully he'll be able to make it today. One of his messages is a recurring message and an important message, and it's that we need to be able to educate people. We need to talk. We need to share our story. And if we don't do that, what's the point? We are already who we are. The people that care already care. The people that know already know. The people that are doing something are already doing something. It's clearly not enough, folks. 
If it was enough, we'd be done. We wouldn't have to talk about this. We wouldn't have to worry about people that aren't getting the medicine they need. We wouldn't have to worry about people getting locked up for pot. We wouldn't have to worry about people suffering because they got charged with pot crime and they can't get their medicine anymore because they're going to get locked up again if they do and they test dirty. This is what happens, and people are dying because they're not getting their medicine. And uh, Rebecca's story is a very true one. Um, she's alive today because she got cannabis oil in her and enough of it. And there's a lot of people today that get that. But there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people that are afraid. They're not going to take it. They'd rather just take what the doctor tells them because they don't know any better. They don't, they're afraid. They don't, they don't understand that there's more to it that there could be. There, they, if, you, if you look at your medical health care institutions, and if you look at doctors and their influencers, I'm going to take a couple minutes and we're going to talk about this, okay? we got a lot of people up in arms about things today, and I'm not going to talk about that. What I'm going to talk about is why aren't we up in arms about the shit that's really hurting us? How many people die every year of heart disease? Is that preventative, preventable? Yeah, maybe. A lot of them. My dad's dead today of heart disease and diabetes and liver failure and heart and kidney failure, and he wouldn't fix his his um, diet, and he wouldn't take cannabis oil. And I have to think that if he would have, he'd be here today. The second leading cause of death is cancer. Okay, this is half a million people every single year in America. You know how many people die of gun violence? It's not even in the top 20, okay? And I'm not going to have a gun conversation with you people today. I'll have a conversation about that someday. Why don't we talk about the real issues at stake? we got people dying of things that they don't have to die for, and why aren't we pissed about it? Why aren't we pissed about how many people get tumors and how many people die of diabetes? You start going to the CDC list of how people die, war's not even on the list in the top 10. Friggin' war, Okay? We do this shit, and nobody's talking about it. And we have medical people that we rely upon. We go to doctors, and we do what they say. And who is influencing these doctors? Who? We have doctors that are afraid to talk about cannabis because of the federal law. They're afraid of losing their license or, even worse, getting prosecuted. Okay? Yeah, there's a handful of, of, of heroes, doctors that are considered to be hacks because they're writing potlucks. Recommendations? Well, guess what? Those doctors have more balls than most of you people that are willing to accuse them of not being real doctors. Okay, not only did they pass the MCAD, not only did they go through medical school residency and get through all that, but they're actually got practicing doctors. How many of you can say that? Not very many. But what happens to these doctors once they get out of medical school? They get the medical school that they go to, the training that they're given, doesn't even talk about the endocannabinoid system. Don't we think maybe there's an issue there? They discovered this thing 20 years ago. They're understanding it now. There's science behind this, and we don't talk about it. They're paid and influenced and lobbied and sold, and they have sales reps and all this stuff they're given to give cancer drugs, to give chemo drugs, to give radiation treatments, 
therapies and all of these things. And the influencer of these positions in these hospitals are pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. Now, which of those two entities do you think has your best interest in mind? Okay? These are publicly traded companies with stockholder obligations. They have an obligation to make a profit, folks. Do you think that they care about your longevity entirely? No, probably not so much. My dad was a surgeon, and I learned a lot about the insurance companies, and and he would operate in ways that he knew he would get paid, because if he didn't, he wouldn't get paid for it. And there was all kinds of things he could have and should have done many, many, many times, and he did plenty of times. He donated all kinds of time, Doctors Without Borders and all kinds of stuff. But all the time I kept hearing about how he wasn't paying bills because the insurance companies weren't paying. They weren't paying. And he would do treatments, and he'd never get paid for it. And he learned, well, if I operate this way, if I do these things, I'll at least get paid for my work. That should have nothing to do with medical care. We have doctors that are influenced by these pharmaceutical companies to such a degree that you've got drumbeats pounding of pharmaceutical ads saying, ask your doctor about, insert fucking drug there, okay? And if you think about the FDA and its requirements to get a drug passed, it doesn't have to be safe. It has to go through rigors that they deem appropriate, but there's nothing safe about these drugs. And if you go and you go to the CDC and you go uh, the WHO and you look at causes of death and you look at poisoning, it turns out it's up there pretty high, way higher than gun violence. Suicide, much higher than gun violence. Okay, why aren't we talking about mental health? Why aren't we talking about any of this? Why aren't we pissed off about it? Okay. And then let's get to the bias of prohibition. All of this prohibition crap, it's all influenced by the same influencers, pharmaceutical companies, big money, okay? They're pushing this prohibition, as they always have, influencing lawmakers to keep their positions. Prison populations got to stay up. You got whole towns, whole cities that are prison cities that... That's the sole source of of employment for a lot of these places. A lot of people making a lot of money off of this stuff. But think about it. If you smoke pot, you're a stoner. But what if everybody that drank a beer was a drunk? A souse. I can talk about a hundred different epithets for fucking drunks. And pardon my French, but it pisses me off because I know a lot of people's lives have been destroyed by alcohol. A lot. More than I wish I knew. It's the American way. We drink. We love to drink. Everything about it. You talk to all the sophisticated ladies and they all got a goddamn glass of wine in their hand. Yeah. Let's be honest. Be honest. Hey, I don't have a problem with wine. I don't have a problem with alcohol personally. It's a substance like any other, but it kills a lot of people. And personal responsibility might be a factor here. What about pharmaceuticals? Pillheads. Why don't we call everybody that takes pills a friggin' pillhead? We don't. 
We don't. We don't because the stigma's not on that. The stigma's on cannabis. We're a bunch of stoners, a bunch of potheads, a bunch of lazy MFers, okay? Let's be honest. Let's lay some truth down on this. That's all I'm here to do. All right, that's enough of my tirade. We got 31 minutes and a bunch of people that want to talk. We're going to dig deep, and I think I got George Marturano just calling in, so we're going to get one caller in. We're going to bring George up, and we're going to race to the finish line. We got Bet from California. I don't know, but it might be my friend Bet Braden. Uh, is that who I'm talking to? No, it's the Bet Kirkstone, and she's your friend, and I love you, Joe. Hey, how's it going today? Going really good, and I'm just thanking you again because you saved my life when I needed it, and I wanted to call in with a couple of things that might be helpful, um, hopefully, All for right. people out there. Um, sure. Have you heard? Hello? Yes, yes, go ahead. You're live. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to try to do this quick. Um, have, you, have you seen the Sacred Plant series? I've seen elements of it, absolutely. Okay, I just highly suggest anyone out there listening to check out the Sacred Plant series. There's a Facebook page. Um, get it. It's wonderful, beautiful compilation of a whole bunch of stuff. And trying to explain it, it's made by a Christian couple, um, so it kind of helps cross those boundaries for more religious people. I'm personally, you know, of a different thing, but I love the way that they did this. They put together uh, just so much, you know, and they get into the government patents and they get into so much. It's it's huge. It's a seven-part series. I just suggest everybody go check that out if you can. Um, if It has everything you would possibly need if you were in a court case and you were in some town where nobody knew what they were doing. You could really educate them. Just hear, lawyer, look at this. So I just feel that it's a really good tool. Um, the other thing I wanted to just kind of throw out there is I was wondering, how how did, is there any resources of how to find a really good cannabis lawyer in, like, say, Indiana? Um, I'm just going to throw that question out there. I, I have someone very close to me that's dealing with an, a cannabis issue in LaGrange County, so um throwing that out there. And uh the third thing I wanted to, um, oh, I really want to thank that church lady. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for standing up to that um, because the misinformation all over just drives me crazy every single day. I was just driving cross country and I saw this big poster that had gummy bears across it and it said, are your kids ready for today's marijuana? And I thought about these kids that I know personally that are not having seizures and dying anymore Um and I thought, no, no, yeah, they are ready for it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a, this information is so insane. It, it's just every every single place I go, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, who's teaching these people this shit, you know? I, it, it's, it's flipping me out. Um, we got to get good information out there. And this, this series, I'm not, you know, getting money for it or anything like that. I'm not that way. Um, but it's a really good compilation of so much. I mean, just it's as an educational tool. I think it's one of the best things I've seen in a single package. So um, I really want to share that with people. Uh, and I have one more idea I just want to throw out there is seeing uh, uh, if anybody would be interested in helping to get something like a one eight hundred help me number. Um, because when people get arrested, if you don't have enough money to get bailed out um, immediately, you wind up losing a lot of your rights because you wind up doing things and saying things that you shouldn't do because you don't know 
because this court system is such a clusterfuck. So I was, you know, because, you know, who knows the number that they could call collect anymore? You know, very, very few people actually, first of all, memorize phone numbers. They take your phone. They don't let you go look at your numbers. You know what I'm saying? So you could be in jail I for know. days. As I was. Never. I was in jail for nine days before I could call anyone. And there were yep. girls in there that had kids that had to get picked up from school. There was no, it was just like, why? Why? There's no one phone call even. You know, like if you don't know a number that you can call collect, and most cell phones you cannot call collect, and then how can you remember the number? They won't let you even look at your notes or your phone. So I just am proposing that somehow it's a really good tool would be if we could start like a 1-800-HELP-ME number so that there would be one toll-free call somebody could make that, you know, somebody could say, hey, find my mother. Her name is Blush. She works at this pizza place. Please let her know I'm in jail. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's a that fantastic kind of idea. I, I think that um, one of the things that we're working really hard on right now is establishing a coalition of like-minded people and, and groups and uh, reaching out to the greater community. And I, I think a project like that might be just the right, just the kind of project that, um, you know, the coalition could, could take on. I think that, um, you know, we're, we have a... a a call every Tuesday and Thursday with our, our executive directors and some of the leadership. Um, I'll bring that up tomorrow, and uh, we, we can research into what it would take to do that. Um, I think that's a doable um, scenario, and I don't think that there is one. As far as finding a lawyer, uh, we're working really hard on our, our legal clinic that's part of the website, that is uh, thsintl.org, and um, I wish there were more good lawyers that I could recommend, but um, not horrible lawyers might be easier to find. And if you find a lawyer that's not horrible and willing to put an effort in, realize that you as the defendant need to do most of the work. Otherwise, you're um, relying on somebody else to, for your own freedom, and it's probably not going to do you a lot of good. But if you um, go to the website and engage that, I will personally see what I can do to uh, – direct you any way that I can. How's that? That's awesome. Awesome. That sounds great. And like I said, like the sacred plan, I fully plan on handing it to whoever, whatever lawyer we have and, and, you know, arming them because there's so much information in there, the studies and, and the endocannabinoid. I mean, it's just everything you need to know basically in one little series. So we um, we have an intake form on the site that if you, mm -hmm. if you fill it out, um, It'll give us a little bit of understanding about the case and the people involved, and we're very, uh, very willing to engage you with that. So let me know, um, you know, if you can jump in there and, and, and fill out that intake, we can at least uh, uh, begin the conversation. Hopefully, um, you know, be helpful before it's too late. Sounds great. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. Sounds great. Bye. Thank right. you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we got George Martirano up next, and George got a, has a weekly segment, and it looks like, once again, we're probably going to run a little long. Um, so don't worry if you're on the line right now and I've got you up as, a, as a, um, somebody that wants to talk. You will always have time. We don't ever cut anybody off, um, you know, because of lack of time. Um, so we got George on the line, and um, I think he's trying to call me too, but here we go. 
And give me one second. It's taking a second. Here we go. Oh, he dropped. Okay. Um, somebody needs to call him or get a hold of him, tell him to call back. Um, all right. Well, let's go. We got some good news from Glenn Keeling. If you can dial that and just tell him to call back in. Glenn Keeling, I think, has some good news that we've been wanting to hear for a while. Glenn, welcome to the show. No tease necessary. Hey. Tell us what's going on. Hey, thank you very much for having me on again, Joe. Um, we, well, unfortunately, we've not heard anything about our case yet. But the ah, big news, right? I, I wish we did. Um, but we had talked yesterday on the group call that we had about maybe doing seminars and what have you. Well, I reached out to Wright State University here in Ohio. And they are going to allow – it was kind of really cool because I explained what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, and the topics I wanted to do it on. And lo and behold, they said yes. <laughs> so uh, we are so going to, to – Go ahead, tell yep, us. I'm sorry, I, I got excited there. Yeah, we're going to make arrangements to get a bunch of material up, and we are going to start doing seminars. Um, now, Wright State has several colleges here, and she said that it would be very well if I could go to each one of them and, and hold the same seminar. But they are going to allow us to do seminars on cannabis and on the can wow. endocannabinoid system and the process of cannabis, how to process it, the growing of it, the Every aspect that we would like to speak about on cannabis, they're going to allow us to do it. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, I definitely want to be part of the creative process on that if possible, and uh, we're going to create a curriculum that can be um, put into the into the human solution uh, profile, and um, it, it's exciting. Hell, I'll come out and join you if I'm able to uh, be part of that. I think that's, that's a, an unbelievable... Um, opportunity and for us to get in front of a college audience uh, with a message of truth about this plant, uh, we can't beat it. So I, I am absolutely tickled, and uh, I wish I was gonna, I was hearing good news about your case, though. I, as much as I'm excited about that, I, I, I so much want to hear that you guys got your freedom back. So hopefully tomorrow. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be the next day or so. Hopefully we're here in Fort. But this is a good step because this is just one college and a whole list of colleges that to come. You know, Wright State is one of them colleges that uh, is kind of, they don't really like discussing things like that, but it was really good that they were open-minded this time about it and they're going to allow it. So this is just the first college, um, first stage of many colleges across the United States that we're going to start running to, we're going to try to get to, a lot of colleges in doing this. So, yeah, and uh, I, I emailed Becca the kind of their criteria of what they kind of wanted up, you know, from us. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is it's a great start. And, I mean, I'm, I'm very I'm very happy to be able to do this and to be involved with something oh, like this. That's unbelievable. It's getting that message out. Well, you guys, I'm absolutely tickled. And um, before we go, um, you guys are um, the chapter heads of our Ohio chapter. And how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to get involved in Ohio? 
Well, they can contact me personally on my uh, Facebook page. It's Glenn Keeling, or that's K-E-E-L-I-N-G, or they can give me a call at 419-863-0498. Beautiful. All right, Glenn. Well, I, I hate to be rushing, but we've got George Marcherano back on the line, and we're running running low on time. So um, we're going to get moving forward, and I, I hopefully we'll uh, – Catch you on the call tomorrow morning. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. All right. Once again, Glenn Keeling from Ohio, and our chapter in Ohio is uh, running with it, getting approved to do seminars in the colleges in Ohio. This is amazing. All right. We got George Marcherano for his segment here. George served 32 years in federal prison for pot without a single victim. Um, Fought his way out of a life sentence, not with luck, not with a, a lawyer doing all the work for him, but with an incredible will, an incredible uh, willingness to do the right thing always and to keep his head down and work his way through it. And he got justice after all that time with a bunch of hard work and diligence. George has got so many great stories. He's a storyteller extraordinaire. And welcome to the show once again, George. Hey, brother. How you doing, Joe? How's it going out there, my West Coast family? Oh, you know, it got a little chilly here a couple nights ago. We actually got some got some frost, got down in the 20s. Oh, listen, I would love to be there. You know, be up early, running in the hills, you know. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, you know, having my cup of joe with you guys and then going for my long run. <laughs> I'll be out there soon doing that. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but this week, uh, like last week, I promised to uh, to share with uh, uh, the world uh, and uh, everyone listening the story about Shaky uh, George. Uh, my name's George, but I'm not the person that is Shaky George. Way back in the, in the late 80s at uh, Leavenworth Penitentiary, uh, incidentally, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Leavenworth Penitentiary was uh, was completed in 1900, and it's still existing today. And uh, you know the horrors. Can you imagine the horrors that uh, that uh, have been documented and have been undocumented in that uh, that 40 40 war institution over over these hun- over 100 years? Uh, just imagine that. And anyway, Jakey uh, George was an individual. Uh, I was going about my prison day, and uh, I got caught up in something, and I came to the chow hall a little late. Well, when back in them days in the penitentiary, everyone had a designated table, and that's where you ate at, and no one could sit at that table. Uh, actually, if you sat at another person's table uninvited, uninvited, it was a killing offense. Naturally, I wouldn't kill anyone if you sat at my table. But that's how that's how the penitentiary life was back then. So I get to the chow hall a little late, and uh, there was a guy named uh, Jimmy Hall. Jimmy Hall was uh, a jailhouse lawyer, and jailhouse lawyers had, uh, you know, they had, they held their esteem, they had this respect, and uh, and the chow hall was almost empty. So I got uh, the little food they had left at the uh, at the, the chow line, and uh, I looked around. Uh, there's no one sitting at my table. I had a designated table, but I looked over and there was Jim, 
And it's this other fellow. So I go sit at the table, and Jim had this little uh, this grin on his face. And he says, you know, this must be fate. And I said, Which, what, what do you mean, fate? He says, uh, and you came into the chow hall, and you sat at my table with George, Jakey George. And uh, he says, uh, I'm going to, George, go ahead and tell George your, uh, your, your story. So George goes and tells me his story. Anyway, Jakey George was from uh, a southern state. And uh, he falls in love. It happens to fall in love. Back then, I guess they were called uh, go-go, go-go places. Now they're called strip clubs, gentlemen clubs. So poor Shaky George, he falls in love with this girl, and he don't know what to do. And uh, he goes in uh, a small town. It might have been like uh, 400 people in the whole town. He robs the local bank. Well, she falls in love with the go-go girl. And uh, so uh, he only robbed the bank with a note. But uh, for some reason, for some reason, when they went and questioned the go-go girl, the go-go girl had uh, cannabis. And they met. They made her uh, admit that George gave her the cannabis. Well, George never knew what cannabis was, never knew what a joint was. Well, make a long story short, they take George. Uh, imagine this obscure little town. They didn't even have a. The federal court, the federal judge was a circuit federal judge. In other words, he came to town periodically. And uh, they take George out of a cell, bring him into a room, and the prosecutor, prosecutor, ladies and gentlemen, no judge, okay, just uh, the, the, the guards had him chained and uh, gave him his J&T, judgment of commitment order. You can't go to federal prison without a judgment of commitment or the warden wouldn't accept you. That's that's still today and that's still 100 years ago. Well, guess what? They gave George 25 years, Shaky George. 25 years. Not for the note, because the go-go girl said that the cannabis, the little bit of cannabis that she had in her apartment, George gave her. Gave that man wow. 25 years. Now, when I came to that table... Uh, like I said, my day was running. I was uh, running a little hectic. I get in the chow hall. It was almost closed. George had already served. Shaky George had already served five years. So I got right on it. I heard that story. I know Jimmy had this. Jimmy Hall, the jailhouse lawyer, had this smirk on his face. So I knew that he wasn't bullshitting me. Well, the first thing I did was file to get a docket docket sheet. Docket sheet must. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where every time you had a court a court hearing, a court activity, it had to be documented. And sure enough, okay, his the day that he received his judgment and commitment order was it was not by a judge. Well, once I got the docket sheet, in a short time, I had Shaky George out of jail. But the reason he got 25 years, ladies and gentlemen, is because that Google girl. I'm not saying she's a bad place, and I'm not. I'm not accepting. I'm not. I'm not against any girl that tries to make a living well by dancing, etc., like that. Anyway, because she said that he gave her the cannabis, and it was a small amount. I think a few joints. George got 25 years. So what I'm trying to say is, when unbelievable. It hasn't stopped till today, just like yesterday. 
hasn't stopped till today. I wanted to share that with everyone, Joe. Thank you. Oh, absolutely, George. And, and you know, these stories that you have are, are so remarkable because they, they're examples of a broken system and how people have been victimized historically by a, a broken system. And because Shaky George didn't know that a judge had to issue that order, he didn't even know to fight it. He just did what he was told. I mean, and, and you know, to imagine to spend five years in prison for something, first of all, you didn't even do. Second of all, for something that was a, a nonviolent offense. And it, 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 it's unbelievable. But, you know, at the end of the day... But, but the world has to understand these goes on. George, Jakey George was just a quiet guy. He felt that he'd done wrong by robbing the note, the bank with the note. But he didn't know, you know, times that by tens of thousands. There's Shaky George's stories all over this country. So Exactly. Well, George, as always, uh, I, I welcome your stories. I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, what an experience, um, you know, when when I hear Craig and I, I, we had some earlier guests on that had spent time in prison for pot and she had lost her, her kid over the deal. And you look and you see the victims that happen over and over again. Um, and even more cases popping up in legal states where we're, we're, we're not supposed to have to deal with that. Um, the, the, the fallout that happens, families torn apart, uh, you know, people losing their freedom, their, their their assets, their time, their health. How many people get sick in prisons uh, that, that went in healthy and they come up with something that, you know, was there in the prison? Uh, we have so much work to do. Um, I'm just glad you're on this side of the wall to help us help them now. It's a whole lot easier to help when you're when you got a little freedom behind you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's just... Uh... You know, uh, when the question is, you know, people have suffered. Uh, it's been a witch hunt for us for the, for the longest time as cannabis people. And, uh, you know, I pray, I pray for the day that it all, it all ends. It's just, when, when does it end? Like I, I say when I do my speeches, uh, uh, I always say, the rumors come and go. But still I like to know why they hate us so. <laughs> well, I don't know if you caught Well, you were coming back online But Glenn Keeling from Ohio Our chapter in Ohio He just got approved to speak at some of the local colleges um, On the subject of cannabis So he's going to be calling in tomorrow We're going to um, find out what the guidelines that they're giving him But we're going to be able to um, to speak on these subjects As the Human Solution International uh, On in a college setting now, um, and we're just just opening up those doors. So it's it's exciting, and as you have said before on the show, it's so important that we get out there and we share our stories, that we uh, reach at least one person, you know, try to reach one person a day, one person a week, and over time we're going to overcome. Okay, Joe. Thank you so much. Hey. Once again, George a free man today, not on paper, not in custody, and out there 
making a difference, part of the solution, George Martorano. Thanks, George. Hey, Joe. I'll talk to you later, brother. All right. We'll talk soon. Hi, Liz. (laughs) All right. George Martorano, he's a friend of the family. He's a friend of the Human Solution. He is a part of the Human Solution. And, you know, the human spirit is an incredible, amazing thing. And we demonstrate over and over again that we can overcome anything. And for those of you listening on on um, the blog talk or on the line, we got cut off a third time on my live feed. So hopefully Lisa's has been a steady stream and you can uh, uh, stay with her feed. I don't know if I'm going to keep running my feed if it doesn't work anymore. Um, all right, so let's see. Albert Thomas, I don't have a specific message from you, so since we're now um, running out of time, we do have Tom Corby with the NorCal Report. I think we're going to Fast forward over to here, and I don't know what happened to Pete Yapel. He was going to come and join us today, um, and he may still be calling in. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, if Pete calls in, we will definitely make room for him. All right, Tom Corby with the NorCal Report. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Tom? Uh, thanks, Joe, and all those on the front line, uh, Lisa, Mary, Becca, George Monterano always, and uh, Coffee Party Radio Show. And here was my friend Frank and Ann, who you know well. Hey, Frank. How's it going? How's it going, Joe? Love you guys. Love the human solution. Woo-hoo! We do, too. (laughs) All right. Go ahead. uh, (laughs) What we talk about... uh, Rebecca mentioned from North Carolina, nice talk. Uh, we talk about our Prop 215 collective. Uh, actually, it's good news. Uh, although all all legalization or laws and regulations. However, if we can stay within our Prop 215, Dennis Strong, uh, rest rest in peace. Uh, your collectives are actually good till January 9th of 2018. Uh, actually, that's 2019. We we have another year uh, to use our collective and our doctors. Now, one thing to support with good doctors like David Allen and Dr. Badgley is that a doctor's recommendation never expires. Uh, although we do recommend keeping them up to date if you are growing, you have a collective, it's best to keep to date. Furthermore, a doctor needs to be knowledgeable on it, cannabinoid science, and also, will he take the stand for you? So, like Joe said, there are doctors, and then there are those other doctors. Uh, I'm going to bring in... Uh, when we talk about Craig Siegel, 17 years, uh, it's just uh, incomprehensible. Uh, Michael Miko Thompson, uh, he's going to ring a bell, of course, Joe. I don't know if you've heard. He, he, uh, uh, Claudia Milton, Perkins Milton, who you know well, sent uh, us another package. Uh, he's been in for 24 years, and uh, I have. Um, paperwork here. I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the chase. I'm still reading it. Uh, he 
comes out and he says, all the support, uh, big letters, I need finance, whatever you I would be grateful. Please know all those in power are finding work to put in political motivation, which it is. It wasn't targeted to be black, but we proved support. Uh, yes, this is the year. Uh, I've been in here for 24 years. Michael Michael Thompson. I have his case here. Joe knows well. Uh, we've come for him. We've read, written letters, letters, pardon letters. Of course, they keep turning them down. And one of the charges well, that they get charged uh, for these 22 caliber guns that are antique and don't even fire. Uh, convicted uh, Michael Alonzo Thompson possessed what they do. They throw everything at you. And that's what they did to me, and that's what they did to Joe, and that's what they did to Frank Canone. And they ask me. <laughs> uh, they throw all this stuff at you. So check this out. So he was uh, charged uh, possession with intent to deliver marijuana, conspiracy to possess with intent to deliver marijuana, delivery of marijuana, possession of a weapon by a convicted felon, Possession of a weapon during a commission of a felony, but he, he wasn't. He wasn't in possession. It was over there in a the lock. But that's what they do. That's what they did to me. Uh, in 1994, uh, Michael Thompson, a, aka Miko Thompson, up in Michigan, uh, he, uh, an icon up there, uh, sold three pounds of pot to a manager of a car muffler shop in Flint, Michigan. He knew the man going there to fix his car. What he didn't know was that he had been pressured to take part in a sting by Flint area narcotics group called Bang. <laughs> Get that word, Bang. Thompson <laughs> got busted. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thompson got busted and police searched his house where they found three guns, two of which were in antiques, and another gun belonged to his wife. Even though he didn't, he hadn't been armed at the time of the sale, prosecutors slapped him with a long list of charges, including possession of firearms while committing a felony, a pretty big stretch. Since he didn't have a gun on him when he allegedly sold the weed, because he had priors and Clompson was deemed a habitual offender and spent 40 to 60 years in prison. Now, 66 years old, he spent two decades behind bars. It might as well be a life sentence. He admits that he made a mistake. Three pounds is not a small amount. Well, it's, yes, it is a small amount, actually. And you have a collected. How about 300 pounds? <laughs> Yes, uh, but he also believes that he's more than repaid his death society. I've been in prison for 20 years for a nonviolent crime. Thompson says from prison. Meanwhile, I see all these guys getting out for murders, real brutal murders, rapists. Body of Perkins Milton, a United Auto Worker Union representative who first met after all. There are 
decoration now. African American activist and the first African American woman to hold the highest as a W representative. Things may be far more useful for a community on the outside. As a free man, Thompson has worked as a musical promoter, acts like Aretha Franklin and Patti LaBelle in Michigan. He has an award for NAACP and I think for helping forge a street gangs in the 1980s. On Unique Day, 1984, Thompson had hundreds of people, young, old, marched to Fenton waterfront, demand jobs, opportunity on gang life. He did a lot for a good and Perkins says what he did was stupid and costly, but also did a lot of good. Uh, it just goes on here. It has a picture of his wife and his kids. Uh, uh, and here he says, <clears throat> when you have a certain amount of pride for yourself, you some people do with your on embarrassment, but I don't deserve dollars. So his letter here is said, fine, I, I read the prior. So if folks like to throw in 10, 20, whatever they can, uh, you can go to uh, News Trust Fund account, which www.connect.network, Michigan. Is that right, Frank? Yes. Right. And uh, donate help. A uh, defense, and also uh, you can write a uh, send him a card. I have a card here ready for him to let him know that he's not forgotten out here. Uh, his address is uh, Mr. Michael Miguel Miko Thompson. Michael Thompson, that is work. Must must um, must 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 be gone. Correction facility. I pronounce that Frank. Must gone. Muskett on 100 South Sheraton Drive, Muskett, uh, Michigan, uh, 49442-628. And uh, I want to thank everybody today, Joe, and all those on the front line coming together to find the sale of drug war on our sacred cannabis plant. I've been using this plant for 50 years. I can still like a mountain and how it works you. Oh, well, that's uh, argumentative. Yes, <laughs> Rachel, thanks. Uh, uh, thank you, Joe, and everybody today. Uh, don't forget to breathe. All right. Thank you so much, Tom Corby. And um, we have one final caller. We got Pete Cable calling in from our New York chapter, and uh, he's got an update. So um, for anybody who's been Watching the live feed, if you're watching it from my page, I apologize that it's broken up, but Lisa's uh, got a version of it that's been nonstop, so when she's done, when we're all done with the show, I'll I'll delete mine and I'll put hers on my page so that everybody can watch it, go back and hit what you missed. Everything we do is archived. Every one of these shows that we've had in the last couple of months has been amazing, and we've had some guests that are um, you know, this is literally history in the making. These are the people making the history, the people that um, are the front, the tip of the spear, the people that are fighting the cases, the people that are supporting those fighting the cases, the people that are pushing the, the changes to be made 
in every possible way, and it has not everything just to do with calling your, your lawmakers, but it has to do with uh, getting your feet wet and your hands dirty and taking a chance, risking your freedom, uh, putting it all to the test, educating, putting your neck out there, talking to people that don't necessarily want to hear what you have to say, standing up for those people that are willing to stand up for you. That's what this is all about. And Pete Yapel is no exception to this. And um, uh, Lisa Wooldridge, Kevin Carter-Yeager, um, and I will be reposting this on the same page, but uh, Lisa Wooldridge, and there's a, a whole bunch of shares. All right, Pete Yapel from New York, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, God, Joe, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's been with uh, less than two it minutes to go. Been, yeah, well, it has been it has been honestly uh, uh, a real busy. You know, you know all we've been trying to push out here lately, and honestly, we got great updates. We've got some great updates. We um, this Friday, my show. Um, I'm not sure whether I'm going to do my show live again this Friday or I'm going to tape it because I'm doing a, a interview actually. The um, the new candidates that are up against the incumbents in my area, and uh, I've village. got yeah in our village. So uh, we're bringing these three in, and we're going to interview them tomorrow uh, because we lost another. I mean, this bad batch of heroin that's going around is just taking people daily, and we just lost wow. another person we went to school with this past week, and his daughter's getting married in two weeks. It's just been a real mess, but. You know, you uh, so it's just you know, I, you, it's terrible when it's close to home, but then it's terrible when it's close to home as somebody you know. So you know, we real it's real imperative, and I'm glad these guys are listening and open. They're a little bit younger, you know, they're probably late 30s, early or mid 40s. Age, yeah, yeah, early 40s. I meant. Uh, so it's affecting them too, and the people from that gener- generation, and they're losing people too. Also, we um, we. Uh, were uh we had an interview this past weekend we went and spoke with a young lady uh denise orzek from the healing uh the holistic healing center in sugarloaf the new york holistic healing, healing studio. studio that's what i said didn't i no, you did not. Uh, well the holistic healing studio and uh in sugarloaf we're going to be doing uh we're going to be having classes once a month uh there now right. and uh, uh yeah uh i mean starting, uh, starting the 16th of march so three weeks Woo! from now, uh, uh, yeah, we're, you know, just so, you know, awesome re- reception from her. She's got a beautiful place. A uh, woman's like 60 years old with two hips and a, and a knee replacement, and she gets along better than I do. I she's, swear to God. She's got yoga classes going. She literally, she's an ordained minister. She has um, uh, healing stones in there, a whole room with the, just like uh, uh, healing salts. She has another room that's. All, that's her her congregation, her church area. She has an, another area that she uh, holds classes for certificates, massage, different massages. Um, she also uh, is a retired nurse. Yeah, so she, and, uh, yeah, she's a she's a well educated woman, very business ambitious, wanting to help her people. Yeah, you know, uh, and help the people, and they all had questions. And it's a great uh, a great door that is opened up for all of us. Um, and I think oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to lead to, to some really awesome places. Yeah. It's uh, that, you know, that's going on. We we're all obviously still doing our dinners. We do our dinners. Sometimes it's twice a week. Now we wanted to do it twice a month, but 
It's been such a good reception, and it's been such good uh, been doing a turnout. You know that it, you know it is, but you know then again, you know there's only two of us. So even better news, we've got now two people now that have come and are going to be yeah. members soon, very soon, probably in the next week or so. And Nikki we've taken, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've taken on that have come into the yeah. Their names are Nikki and James Tenney. Uh, All right. uh, uh, Nikki's a patient, and uh, uh, James is a hardworking, longtime friend of mine. Yeah. I went to school with James. We were in every single homeroom together since I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> so we go way back. Yeah. So there's two new members that we'll have very soon, but are already starting to volunteer. Right. And I've got to tell people out there: if you're in it, if you're, if you have any time in your week, you know, it doesn't have to be a daily thing. If you could commit a half hour, like, I mean, Nikki and, and James, or Nikki right now, I just, I, I said to her, that I can't even run. Her. Yeah, I can't really run my groups as effectively as I used to because of all the other things that are going on. And, uh, you know, even if, so I'm going to have her admin on my groups to start, you know, little things like this, but people right. don't understand. Them little hand, helping hands that you give to us, to anybody, yep. Joe, I mean, me, you know, you, you name the group or the, the whatever, whatever it is out there that's doing something, you have, I, I get asked every day, what can I we do? I, you, I, you know, just volunteer. Even like I said, even if it's just a little bit of time, because then, you know, we can focus on. The, making the picture even bigger than it is, and believe me, the picture's getting big. People, this is the, the the movement is moving again. Okay, we we were at such yeah. a stall and stalemate in this movement. Now we're at a momentum. We yes. have momentum, we, and we're just gonna keep rolling. Right. So while we have legs, we have to keep legs. But in order to keep legs in this, is a marathon. We need people handing us glasses of water along the way. And if that's all you can do, that's all you can do, and that's all, and that's all we can ask of you. But don't keep going out and saying, oh, I wish I could do something, or I want to do something. Do something. There's always somewhere well, something you we'll can do. We'll give you something to do. I can guarantee it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And like well, I said, it's, it's very menial. About... It's not taking anybody's time, you know? No, of course not. Well, um, hopefully, Pete, you can join us on tomorrow morning's call. Um, I, I'd like to talk oh, yeah. to you more about this, and um, we got we got a, a good idea that came from one of the callers um, that I'd like to explore, and it's something that I think we could do not only through the Human Solution, but engage some of the other organizations that have committed to helping. Um, it might be something that could become a nationwide resource uh, that could help a lot of people, maybe even an international resource. That's absolutely, that's, that's fantastic. Things like that, and that's why my show, your show, all of these shows that are on are very important. And and even if you think you don't have something really to say, please call in, talk, you know, send a shout out on our, our lines. We might not be able to answer you right away if, while we're doing the live feeds because we're really, we're still really producing and running a radio show. Yeah. So it, it's, it's um, even though you see us live feed, that's what we're doing is a radio show. So, you know, plug it in, you know, get an idea out there. The, some, my grandfather always said the only stupid thing is something never said. So that's yeah. right. That, that, that's, that's, that's right. There. Only we, stupid yeah. Something not said. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and everybody has to remember the idea. An idea is the most minute thing that there is. It's just a passing thing. But the what an idea can grow into is insurmountable. So let, let's keep that in mind. Stuff that all substance is made of, and that's that's, that's what right. this is all about. If enough of us put our ideas, turn our thoughts into form, we can make any change we want in the universe, and we can create a world where there's freedom, actual. True freedom instead of the tyranny we live in. You guys, That's I right. am so tickled. I knew this was going to be a great union of, of your efforts and ours and Glenn's and all and Albert's and all the new energy that's coming into the organization. I, 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 I feel this groundswell of movement, and I feel that we are literally turning the corner on the home stretch of this, and we are going to take it home. Awesome. Excellent. And I agree with you 100%. And, and, and listen, that falls out into everything, and Joe can testify to that. Listen, people, if you do something else out there, if there's something you do, if your organization is doing something, you know, if your, organiza- if your organization represents something, you never know who I might run across that may be looking for your assistance or for your aid or for whatever service you have. And I'll gladly ask you first. And if I have your permission, I'll pass your information on. Because, listen, man, we're only going to grow, and this is only going to grow if we keep it steamrolling. Absolutely the case. All right, Pete, Helen, how would somebody get a hold of you if they want to help out in New York? If anybody wants to get out a hold of us in New York, you could always find us on Cano We Talk 4, 2, and then the small O radio. That's our that's our our public figure page. We also have Cannabis Country. You have Peter Yapel, Peter C. Yapel, Helen Yapel on on phone numbers eight four five five two two three one six two. Call. A lot of times I might not be able to answer because I'm busy, but you can either text me or call me and leave me a message. And believe me, I'll find something for you to do. We have we have both emails. Talk four twenty at gmail dot com, and we also have solidarity over separation thsi at gmail dot com. So those are other ways to get a hold of us as well. I love it, and if you missed that, you can always rewind it. All the all this show is archived as well as the live feed. I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to thank all of the callers and listeners for being here. I want to thank Mary. Uh, Non-compliant Mary for doing a great job screening, and uh, of course Lisa Wildridge for taking care of the video feed and sharing her story, and of course I want to thank Willie Nelson for his support, and we'll see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. You were always on my mind.